this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 319, and today we are talking about books being released on July 13th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa! Hello, Hello, friend. Hi, how are you? Hi there. I am so miserable. <laughs> but before before we talk about that, yeah. congratulations! Oh, yeah, thank you. God, I, I know I should know this by now, but I keep forgetting. <laughs> it's only been like six days. Yeah, well, I mean, we're kind of like, you know, a big family, and we all talk yep. all the time, and, every, you know, you got promoted within the organization, so it's like, you still work at Book Riot, you know, so I can see how it might be easier for you to, like, be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm now the managing editor, you know, because it's not <laughs> yeah. like you got a totally different job, you know, but yeah. now you have more responsibilities, and you have to answer all the questions. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been weird, because obviously I knew about this for some time, like, it's not a thing that you can turn on overnight, like, it's just impossible to do that, because the, the site would shut down. Um, so I've known, and we've been doing so much, like, training in the background to, like, get us to a point, and then the day actually happens, and you think you know, like, how many DMs you're going to get, and... You're very wrong. <laughs> it's all good. It's just a lot of work in the beginning. We had to try, you know, but I'm, I'm very happy. I'm excited. It's cool to, to finally have worked up to this. But yeah, like I kind of have been just typing and working and then I'm like, oh, yeah, and people congratulate me. Like that did happen on July 1st. So, yeah. Yay. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm super excited. So I am miserable <laughs> because I am a poor human specimen and... For, like, when I was a kid, we lived on the edge of the woods, and we would run around outside all day, and we would come home, and we would have dozens of mosquito bites, like, every day. And it was, like, whatever. It was nothing. But as an adult, you know, I moved to the city and barely got mosquito bites, and now living where we do, when I get one, I have really bad reactions. And the other night, like, the corner of the screen on our new air conditioner came loose, and I woke up with dozens of bites, and my eye was swollen shut, and I'm so miserable it's it's apparently it's a thing. It's called Skeeter syndrome. Stop which it! Sounds like you catch it. Yeah, it sounds like you catch it from one of the Muppet babies, but it's like a real thing where I'm just I'm so allergic to them now, and I'm oh, so unhappy. No. I keep putting mittens on because <laughs> I feel like Phoebe. Yeah, friends, your friends. Gets the chicken pox. Oh no! Oh, I'm covered in toothpaste. Like the first time this happened. <sighs> You know, when I got a mosquito bite, my husband was like, what are you doing? Apparently, a lot of people haven't heard of the toothpaste remedy, but it is something I picked up from somebody who uh, worked at a camp. They were a camp yep. counselor, and they're like, put toothpaste on it, and, mm-hmm. and it's a huge help. And so are the mittens, but I'm so miserable. Do you have a fever and stuff? <laughs> like, I used to get fevers, so I don't know if you... Uh, oh. like, a, like, not really. Okay. No. Like, I feel a little warm, but I think it's just because I keep moving yeah. and like, scratching it. 
I'm going to stop talking about that now because it's ugh, I'm just making bugs. you more aware. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so unhappy. And like, I was like, I can't take any Benadryl because I have to do the show Uh-oh. or else I would be like this. You know? Oh my so gosh. I'm going to hit the Benadryl as soon as we're done here. <laughs> party, party, party. <laughs> yeah, this is my exciting life. <laughs> Yay, Maine. <laughs> so let's see what else is going on. Um, I watched Shadow and Bone. Yay! Which many people had told me to watch, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, but I had never seen Ben Barnes in anything. Me people neither. were like, oh, has Ben Barnes, Ben <laughs> Barnes. I was like, I don't know who that is. They're like, didn't you watch the C.S. Lewis movies? I was like, no. So I went from like watching it and uh, be like, who's Ben Barnes? To like, I would eat babies for Ben Barnes. Like by the time I finished the thing, I was like, oh, I love him. <laughs> you and I could have live tweeted that together and had the exact, <laughs> literal exact same reaction. I was like, who is this fool? Like, why does everybody keep telling me about him? Fine, fine, fine. And then I watched it and then I yeah, looked him up and then I walked around for like two solid weeks being like, make me your villain. Like, I love that dang show. And I too now would eat babies for Ben Barnes after not knowing who the hell he was two weeks ago. Yeah, he was pretty great. Do we have to clarify that we wouldn't actually eat babies? I think everyone Hopefully knows that. Hopefully not. Let's but just let's, like, yeah. let's just point that out. So yeah. Uh, also, before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to Paulina who sent me like, the nicest message on Instagram the other day just made my day. It was so sweet. So hello to Paulina, oh. who's out there listening. Uh, and we're going to talk about books now, which is exciting. Um, unless you want to talk some more about Shadow and Bone or Mosquitoes. <laughs> but we probably should talk about books. Let's do books. Yeah. But before we even do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Balatar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth, but the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, Publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher. A story of first love that will break your heart. Wild Ground is a bittersweet novel that follows two teenagers whose all-consuming relationship is tested by the forces of class, prejudice, and addiction in a small English town. From the beginning, it has always been Neef and her beautiful, troubled mother, Chrissy. When they move to a small town to follow Chrissy's older boyfriend, it's a chance to start over. And on the first day in their new home, she meets Danny and the two form a friendship that gives way to the slow burn of romance as they grow up, desperate to escape the confines of their world and the forces that hold their families hostage, like substance abuse, poverty, and racism. 
Now this is perfect for fans of things like normal people, euphoria, and sex education. It centers working class women in small town England. It's steeped in the dialect and lyricism of Northern England. So make sure to check out Wild Ground by Emily Usher. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick is an amazing graphic memoir. It's called Seek You, A Journey Through American Loneliness by Kristen Radke. She did the memoir Imagine Wanting Only This a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. I keep forgetting that like last year happened because it was just such a mess that like I keep forgetting to tack an extra year onto everything that takes place. But she is an amazing writer and illustrator. She does all these illustrations herself. All the graphics are done by her. Um, and Imagine Wanting Only This was a, was a look at her life, but also like all these abandoned places. And this one is about loneliness, as you might have guessed from the title. And she examines loneliness through the lens of many different things. It starts, she examines laugh tracks. Like, I did not know there was so much history to canned laughter and laugh tracks in television, but it was really interesting. And she looks at loneliness studies and, you know, how all these people say, you know, that they feel lonely, like much more than you would ever imagine, you know, because like people who live with people say that they're lonely and people who talk to people every day say that they're lonely. And, you know, Britain started this campaign to stamp out loneliness because so many people said that they feel alone. And it's not just, you know, people who live alone and it's not just, you know, people who don't have a lot of interactions during the day. Um, She talks about her own loneliness, like how she felt alone living in a giant city. She lived in New York City and she and she felt alone and she didn't understand like why that was um, and how loneliness affects people health wise, like how how it can be detrimental to your health to to consider yourself lonely or think of yourself as lonely, um, how loneliness is treated in the media, you know, how people who perpetrate mass shootings are always described as loners, um, how people are treated in social media, like you have this thing where you can reach out and talk to people but it sometimes backfires, you know, like when you reach out and say, I'm lonely, like some people, you know, respond and they're like, you know, I understand you. And some people respond and they make fun of you and, you know, how people are, are treated when they when they show emotions on the Internet and how there are professional cuddlers, which is a thing I had heard about a couple of years ago in, in another memoir, I think, where you can hire someone to cuddle you because it, it triggers all these endorphins and all these great feelings in your in your brain and your body and it, and it's good for you it's just it's so interesting it's very beautiful it's also very sad i mean it's sad you know people are lonely and that's very sad but it might not make you feel as alone to know that so many people feel this way which is kind of sad but also good um i do want to give content warnings for discussions of mental illness and there is some talk about the animal studies that were done uh, which are heartbreaking Um, This is called Seek You, A Journey Through American Loneliness, and it's by Kristen Radke. Oh, that sounds lovely. All right, I'm going to take a very different uh, approach with my book, (laughs) (laughs) which is Swordstone Table, edited by Jen Northington and Swapna Krishna. Yay! So this is such a cool book. Um, For those of you who didn't already pick up based on our, like, yays and congratulations, Jen Northington is, like, the Jen Northington, our Jen Northington uh, from Book Riot. And Swapna was a former contributor, I think a contributing editor at Book Riot. And this collection that they have put together is a collection of stories that remix, reimagine, reinterpret, do all kinds of fun stuff to the legends of King Arthur and Camelot and all of that good stuff. 
it is, oh, like I'm such a sucker for Arthurian. I think I've talked about a couple of those types of books on the podcast before. And this was just like so in my wheelhouse, even if it hadn't been edited by someone at Book Riot and contributed to by so many Book Riot, you know, affiliated people. And you'll see why in a second. So the book is split into three sections, which are once, present, and future. And you probably can pick up on the fact that that is, you know, past, present, future. And so you get these stories that are set in different times, but that are all an interesting kind of reimagining or take on Arthurian legend. And the list of contributors is just bananas. Like we do have, again, some Book Riot folks. So like uh, Preeti Chibber is a former Book Riot contributor and I think editor. Sharifa Williams, our executive director of content, has a story in here that's fantastic. Jessica Plummer, our one of our comics writers and contributing editors as well. And... In addition to those people, I mean, it's Alexander Chi, uh, Sarah McLean, Roshni Chakshi, I think it's Ken Liu, Dan Lavery, Silvia Moreno-Garcia, Anthony Rapp, Wabgishig Rice, like just so many fantastic writers contributed to this thing. Like, I am so proud of the collection that a friend of mine has been able to put together. So, I mean, these stories take place all over the place. Like, we get some stuff that's set in 80s New York in futuristic Mexico City, in Gilded Age Chicago, present-day Singapore, space, like, it just goes all over. Uh, Nisi Shaw has a story that gives us an interpretation of the Lady of the Lake as an albino Ugandan sorceress. And then Sarah McLean gives us, like, a really romantic but, like, badass tale of a lady bladesmith who is also Lady of the Lake. Anthony Rapp imagines, like, he basically brings Merlin to New York during the AIDS crisis, and then um, Maria Devana Headley has a story that's a mystery that's told through like a collection of lost items, I think like documents and stuff that are found in an abandoned lighthouse by the FBI. There's a story by Jess Plummer about the Lady of Shalott acting as Lancelot's barista. <laughs> Wabgishik Rice's story It's kind of a more straightforward retelling, but it focuses on an Anishinaabe teen or preteen, I think, named Art who unearths like a seemingly immovable stone, sound familiar, to find these long hidden ancestral drums. Sharifa's story is this like really touching story of a biracial teen who's traveling to Singapore with her mom, who makes a mysterious friend who has this like very captivating hold on her and gives her this very particular necklace that she just like can't seem to let go of. That's a meditation on so many things. And then Alexander G's story is just like this really tender take on Arthur and Gawain that's set in space. <laughs> and then there's Silvia Moreno-Garcia's story where like, it's a nameless narrator, like obsessing over Lancelot. And that like just scratches the surface. There's so, so many wonderful stories, each one seemingly more inventive than the last and just a really, really fresh takes on stories that for so long were not representative of any kind of diversity whatsoever. They're queer, they're, there's a lot of again, like different kinds of representation, for, just all over the map in a way that was so pleasing to read. Like I never thought I would see an you know, Arthur story where Arthur was named, I think, Arturo. Like it's just, again, such, such a great collection. I had so much fun with it. It just so happens to be edited by folks that I know and love. So that again is Swordstone Table, edited by Jen Northington and Swapna Krishna. Woohoo! So good. So excited about that. It's so good. Yes. I got a copy in the mail a couple of weeks ago and it came with a sticker and my cat, I was like trying to pose it on Farouk and he, he was like, he just sleeps and he doesn't really wake up. So I was like, this will be easy. I'll just like lean it up against him. And I set the sticker next to it and like a cobra, he just snatched it off his side and was like, this is my sticker now. I'm going to eat it. And I got some really great photos. 
Uh, and I was like, well, thank you for that. Not what I was going for, but that works. <laughs> Thanks too. for the action shot. <laughs> He's like, stop using me as a prop. <laughs> I was like, oh, well. So my next pick was supposed to come out in June, and it is now out today, which is exciting because it is a Psalm for the Wild Built Monk and Robot Number 1 by Becky Chambers. And Becky Chambers is the author of the Amazing Wayfarer series, which starts with a long way to a small angry planet. And that is such a great series about found family and space. And this is an adorable novella. It kind of complements my first pick in ways, which you'll see. And it, like I said, it's the first in a series. So uh, if you like to wait until series are finished before you read them, I just want to give you a heads up. But it's just adorable. I loved it so much. It's set centuries in the future in this place called Panga. And... In this world, centuries ago, robots were like, we've had enough. We're, we're done. We don't want to hang out with the humans anymore. We don't want to do anything anymore with you. We're leaving. And the robots went and marched off into the, into the wilderness. Like, they were gone. Like, they left. And they're never heard from again. Nobody has heard from a robot or seen a robot. And it's about how people were living without robots and the help of mechanical things after this. And also, in this feature, people who belong to religious orders, instead of being called, like, brothers or sisters, like monks and nuns, they're called siblings. They're all called siblings. And the main character of this book is Dex, who is a sibling. And Dex is tired of the city. Dex has always been in the city and decides they're not going to do it anymore. So they want to be a tea monk and go live in the woods. They're like, oh, I want some nature. You know, it'll be so nice and quiet. And so they decide to be a tea monk, and they take their wagon, and they go out into the forest. And at first, they're not great at the tea service. There's this comedic first attempt where they're trying to comfort a woman who has lost her cat, and they're not very good at making the tea or picking the correct things. But they get really good at it, for the most part, and they love the outdoors. They love being in nature. And you know, there are bears, which are not great, you know, if you're afraid of bears or worried about being eaten by a bear. But basically, they're happy. Here's nature and woods, and it's quiet, and it's beautiful, and, and they love it. And then one day, Dex is, is bathing, and this seven-foot robot walks out of the bushes, which is unexpected, just in general, like on any, any given day. You don't expect a giant robot. Uh, and the robot is like, my name is Mosscap, and I've lived with the, you know, wild robots, you know, like the robots that left for you know, many years, and we're wondering how you're doing. Like, how are the humans doing without us? How have the humans fared without without the robots? And Moss is wild-built, meaning that their parts were repurposed from parts of other robots who broke down. Like, they never lived among the humans. They've always just been with the robots. And so they elected to go and check on the humans and see how they've done. And so Dex and Mosscap become traveling companions. They have these great conversations about loneliness and life and the purpose of life and the meaninglessness of life and what happens after. It's it's really charming and really cute. Um, like I said, it is the first in a series. It's not very long. It doesn't end on a cliffhanger because it's not super action-y, you know, but it, it ends like they're still at the beginning of their journey. And I just, I adored it so much. It's both very funny, but also gives you a lot to think about. And I cannot wait to read about more adventures with Dex and Mosscap. This is called A Psalm for the Wild Built, Monk and Robot 1 by Becky Chambers. So 
I, I've spent the last like six months thinking this book was called A Psalm for the Well Built. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, I mean, again, I knew what, like what the premise sort of was, but I literally thought that it was well built. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I wonder what that means. And now I'm like listening to you talk like, oh, no, 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 it's wild. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> I got super excited. It's like when I find out what the title means in a book. Exactly. They have to, there needs to be a term for that when you come across like, oh, this is why this is called that. <laughs> totally. You know, like when it, when we get to the part where, where Moscap is like, I am called Wild Built because of this. I was like, aha, I like it. I'm sure there's either a Japanese or German word somewhere that's like Titlehausen or whatever. And I love discovering <laughs> those. Ter- I don't know where I came up with that one. But yeah, I love when yeah. those terms. Yeah. They're fun. <laughs> Okay, well, let me tell you about my next book, which I loved so much. And that book is The Take of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. Oh, this was so much fun. I've been in a bit of a, like, I don't know, horror ghosty kick, apparently, with both my last month's picks and this one. (laughs) So Jake Livingston is 16, and he's a student at St. Clair Prep, where he's one of very, very few black students. And as one might expect in this kind of a situation, that means he has to navigate all manner of everyday racism, microaggressions, all that terrible stuff from both fellow students and his teachers. And it's obviously really tough to to deal with, to shoulder as a young person. Then one day, a very handsome new student arrives at St. Clair. His name is Alistair Burroughs, which is just a fantastic name. He's another black student. And Jake is like, wow, (laughs) Jake is gay and dealing with the stress of being closeted. But he starts to think that maybe romance, you know, a crush could like actually be a thing for him in his future. But that's not all Jake is dealing with. Jake also sees dead people. He watches the dead play out their last moments on a loop and he just like sees it over and over and over again, which you learn just a few pages in when Jake describes like a young boy's death. And if you haven't read up on the premise at the time, it's kind of jarring. You're like, wait, what? And then like maybe a few seconds later, you keep reading and you realize like what's happening. And usually these ghosts are harmless and he's able to sort of act as a medium and help them move on to the next place. That doesn't mean it's easy to deal with because again, it's hard to watch like someone live out their final moments on a, on a loop, but they're generally again, like not harmful to him. But then that changes. There is another, a new ghost. His name is Sawyer Dune. Sawyer is a white student who committed a mass shooting at a neighboring high school and then shot himself. And this ghost isn't harmless. He's violent and vengeful and cruel. And he has his sights set on Jake and he wants to possess him and then use Jake's body to essentially continue committing atrocities from beyond the grave. So essentially Jake ends up kind of enlisting his newfound buddies, uh, someone named Fiona, and then the aforementioned hottie, Alistair Burroughs, to kind of hop in and assist Jake in his quest to hopefully defeat Sawyer and, you know, protect the people that he loves. It's such a fun book. It's obviously has that like aura of, um, or the element, I should say, of horror, but in, it's just, it's full of a lot of social commentary too, about how everyday racism, microaggressions, you know, just that kind of discrimination are isolating and exhausting and how the pressures of dealing with those kinds of things can depress, I mean, really anyone, but especially young people. And it's just great to see a book that addresses what it's like for a person of color or from any kind of marginalized space to be in these kinds of elite, you know, like St. Clair prep type boarding school settings, because it is not generally an easy experience for a lot of folks. And the microaggressions are kind of like the base level of what a lot, you know, you might experience in that kind of setting. So it was great to spend time with a book that examined that stuff that also had that, you know, the the friendship between the three friends was really, really fun to read about. And to see 
kind of Jake's feelings unfold for, for Alistair. But again, with this really interesting sort of mystery horror type of element pushing the story forward, it was it was just a, such a, a fun read. And it's not very long. I feel like I read it in about a day and a half. And that's in the middle of it's like the busiest like four weeks of my professional career. So yeah, a lot of fun. Definitely pick this one up if you're in the mood for like kind of a quick, a really quick and maybe short mystery with some great social commentary. That's The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. I have that on my list to read, but since you picked it first, I was like, oh, I'll wait. But I do look forward to reading that one. It also has an amazing cover. I was going to say the cover, yep. It's such an incredible illustration. Really great. I have something completely different now. It's also a short book, though. I have a lot of short books today, but that's okay because it's just the right length. It's beautiful. It's called Ghost Forest by Pixuan Feng. It is a novel told in dozens of vignettes, these beautiful little stories that make an incredible whole. It's a novel about loss and grief and regrets. The unnamed protagonist in this book is reflecting on her life and her father. Uh, When she was young, they emigrated from Hong Kong to Canada. Uh, And because her father was worried about his job, like what kind of job he would get when he moved to Canada, he uh, elected to stay behind and continue working the job that he had. And it's called an astronaut parent. Uh, so she, he's called her astronaut father. The term is invented was invented because it's like the parent is flying here and there. So they're like an astronaut. And so he comes to Canada to visit her and her mother and her and her grandparents, who did choose to move to Canada with them because their father or her father was staying behind. Uh, and it's about how the move affected her and their traditions and their culture and her life after he dies. It's so beautiful. It's very sad, of course, but it's also really beautiful. You know, and like I said, it's told in these little tiny, I mean, they're sometimes they're like not even a page long. Uh, these little these little bits. And I-, I loved that format. You know, first it makes it like easy to just take it in and you can stop and be like, I'm gonna read a few of these today, and then I'm gonna read a few more, or you can read the whole thing. There's a little bit about how Chinese brush painting has or about Chinese brush painting I should say and how the parts of the paper are left that are left blank are as important and purposeful as the parts taken up with the ink which is a lovely metaphor for all kinds of things and it's just an incredible short novel about love and regret and forgiveness and the writing is very eloquent and spare which is just the right amount to squeeze all your feelings because it is oh I just loved it and also Another book with an absolutely gorgeous cover. I'm a big fan of covers that are like fluorescent colors because you can see them from space and like you would want everyone to be able to see, you know, your book all the time. Uh, And this one has an incredibly bright green cover that I just love. It is called Ghost Forest by Pixuan Feng. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Underlined, publishers of The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson. If you know me, you know I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I've been reading her since I was an actual child and reread her at least a few times every year. So I'm so excited that this sequel is out because it's reminding me about the original that I've been meaning to read for quite some time. And now I can read both back to back. So how do you solve a murder? You follow the lessons of the master, of course, Agatha Christie. Iris and Alice find themselves in the middle of another Castle Cove mystery in this sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Agathas. This time, to understand the lies of the present, the Agathas will need to look to the mysteries of the past. 
The Night in Question is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. That audiobook I have my eye on, and it's narrated by Mayor Dudeja, Sophie Amos, and Holly Linneman. Thank you once again to Underlined and The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson for sponsoring today's show. This episode is sponsored by LavenderCon and Little District Books. LavenderCon, which is just the best name for a book festival, is a new book festival in Washington, D.C. It's presented by Little District Books, which is Washington, D.C.'s all-queer bookstore, both of whom are dedicated to celebrating LGBTQIA plus authors and stories. The festival will feature over 80 authors, including Terry J. Benton Walker, the author of the Blood Debts duology, famed audiobook narrator Natalie Nottas with her debut romance novel called Gay the Prey Away, and Rashid Newson, author of My Government Means to Kill Me. And as I am looking at the website right now, breaking news, I saw a familiar face, and that is Book Riot senior contributor Susie Dumont. I'm so excited to see her name on this list, author of Queerly Beloved and Looking for a Sign. So you have so many great authors to discover at the festival. LavenderCon will feature 20 plus panels with topics for middle grade, young adult, and adult readers discussing romance, fantasy, horror, writing craft, and more. There will be a queer artist market, so you can go nab all of the great art and stickers and pins and handmade goods. The festival is happening June 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C., and you can either grab Saturday, Sunday, or two-day VIP tickets, which come with a few extra perks. Thank you once again to LavenderCon and Little District Books for sponsoring today's show. We hope you make your way over to the festival. Okay, Vanessa, tell me about your next pick while I try not to itch my mosquito bites. <laughs> and well, we're again going at a really hard pivot from your last like beautiful touching book, which yes, has a really gorgeous like chartreuse cover. Um, and that is with the next Grady Hendrix book. <laughs> it's the Final Girls Support Group by Grady Hendrix. So I have gone on this podcast and I think on other shows to say that I'm a total horror weenie. But I'm finding more and more than I can handle more than I thought. So I went into this very like trepidatiously and I did it on audio, which almost seems like worse, but I really enjoyed it. And so here we are talking about, you know, the final girl support group. So final girls, seasoned horror readers definitely don't need to be told this, but you know, the final girl is a trope in horror films and books. Um, that's, you know, especially the slasher kind and refers to the last girl or girls or, you know, woman, women left alive in like the killing spree to confront the killer and the one who sort of lives to tell the tale. Lynette Tarkington is one such final girl who survived a, a massacre, and she's been meeting with five other final girls and their therapist in a support group for like well over a decade. They all survived, you know, the unthinkable and have worked to put their lives together in the aftermath of the horrible things that they experienced. And then in the la latest meeting, one of the other members announces that they'll be leaving group. And this really unsettles Lynn, who is like deeply paranoid and likes things to be very consistent and follow a particular routine. She kind of goes in on that person for daring to break up the group. And that leads to like a whole lot of, you know, heated declarations, like things that people have been holding back, a lot of bickering. And Lynette is kind of losing her ish over the fact that several members' cell phones keep buzzing. She's like, just check your phones already. Like if you're going to have them on, then like just check it and silence them or whatever. And that's when they learn that the reason all their phones are going off is because something happened. And that's that one of their group members, one who they had sort of just been criticizing for being late to group, has been found dead. So Lynette rushes home. She needs to get to her safe space. Her home is her only safe place. Safe place? Sure. You know, that's a new word. Her safe place. And um, from the second she walks in, you just realize how much the fear of what has happened to her has taken over her life. She has outfitted her place 
so that, you know, the front door opens into a cage that can only be opened or released with a code. So like if someone's trying to break in, they can't get in. If someone's already in her apartment, then like she can, you know, run. It's supposed to be bulletproof. Inside the place, she has guns. There's a panic room, a go bag, like, you know, all that stuff. And so she's sitting in this place. Her mind is racing. Heart is pounding when like a friend from group shows up. And that's not supposed to happen because although this person is her friend, Julia Lynette, again, is deeply paranoid and has never shared her address with anybody and essentially left an envelope with Julia that said like, only open this in the case of an emergency. And you know, that has her address. So she's already kind of like feeling some kind of way about the fact that this person is here after a mishap (laughs) that I will let you discover on your own. She does eventually let her in. And then right when you're kind of thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe she shouldn't be as paranoid as she is, bam, like just chaos explodes, like noise is everywhere, shots ring out, every single one of her windows is being blown out by gunshots. Lynette runs. She always knew this could happen. She just can't believe that it finally has, you know, like how, how is this actually finally happening? Like I was preparing for this. I thought this could happen someday. I've been afraid that it would, but now that it's happening, like I cannot believe that it is. And then more killings ensue. And it's clear that someone knows about the group and is determined to sort of rip each and every one of their lives apart, like all over again. That's kind of all I want to say. Just a trigger warning for all the things. I mean, it's very slashy. So things get very bloody, very grotesque. (laughs) They're tight and suspenseful. You, along with Lynette, are left to ponder, like, does, does this ever end? Like, do the monsters ever go away? And it's, oh, it's just such like, again, like a tight, suspenseful read. Hendrix knows his horror tropes. I mean, it's clear he's such kind of a vanguard in, in this type of book, but he, he really does take, you know, the, there's the chainsaws, there's summer camp slayers, there's all, all the horror things. And he plays tribute to those tropes and then kind of subverts them a little too and gives this really just frightening, very uneasy. Like the whole time my shoulders were sort of up by my ears and I had to bring him down and like take a couple breaks here and there, but it is. A very, very darkly funny, very funny, and also just kind of chilling meditation on trauma and horror and and the aftermath of massacre and what it means to survive that and like and to keep on living afterwards. Grady Hendrix is just such a reliable writer for this kind of thing. I have found again that like horror in certain kinds of doses is still really working for me. I didn't think I could handle this level of sort of slashy bloodiness, but I I could, and especially because it really dove into again all the background stuff and and not just the like grotesqueness of it all, if that makes sense. So it was so good. I really, really loved this. It was a great follow-up to the Southern Ladies Book Club or uh, yeah, Southern Ladies Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yeah, really, really fun. I need to go back into the rest of his catalog and do some more reading. And that is The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. So I watched an interview with him. He interviewed Sarah Langan when The Good Neighbors came out, which is one of my favorite books of the year. And I highly recommend you pick it up. But they were talking, I can't remember how they got on the subject, but they were talking about, like, things you don't do in writing. And he was saying his one regret as a writer was killing off the dog in something early that he wrote because he still, it was many, many, many years ago, but he still gets, like, angry letters and messages oh. from people who are upset that that he let the dog die in something that he wrote. And I was like, yeah, of course. And now, like, he's like, I, I don't let that happen anymore, oh. <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Um, because, you know, so many of us are like, I won't read this if something yeah. happens to the animal. Like, I need to. Like, there are whole websites built to tell you if something happens to the animals. You know, yep. I thought that was interesting. Um, I also want to point out that we are about six weeks away from My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, which is <gasps> a deep dive into horror of all kinds. Mm-hmm. The main character is a huge horror aficionado. And I think I also mentioned that he spoils a 
like something like 200 horror movies. Uh, so if you don't want to have like Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween or other movies, classics like that spoiled for you, um, although, you know, it has been many years since they came out, then you might want to watch them before you read the book because... I had gotten a Shutter subscription like a week before I read the book because I was like, I need to watch some of the classics. <laughs> and it's like, here's here's the motivation for Freddy in, Night- in Nightmare on Elm Street. And You're I was like, like oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'll still watch them someday, but I was not as enthused after that. But it's it's a really interesting take on, on horror and Final Girls and all the tropes in horror movies. And speaking of horror, that brings me to my last picks, which actually I have not read. I did want to read the first, It's it, I have a twofer here. I did want to read the first one I had, but then um, my eye swelled shut, so <laughs> I, um, I did not get to it. But if you like a good evil doctor story or a medical fraud story, if you like, you know, Charlatan by Pope Brock, this sounds like something you're going to want to get on board with, uh, which also reminds me, I want to watch that Dr. Death show about the the surgeon, like the sociopathic surgeon based yeah. on the story that's coming out. On Hulu, I think, in a couple weeks, or maybe not even a couple weeks, like soon. Sounds really evil and fun. But this is a look at horrific practices and medical investigations perpetrated in the name of science. How people broke laws, discarded ethics uh, in order to make discoveries and satisfy curiosities. Uh, Basically, these are about the ill-gotten gains of the medical world and medical advancements, um, starting with the Egyptians to Tesla and Edison, to the Nazi experiments, to present day. Um, it sounds very fascinating. Also sounds like it might be really hard to read, but I'm very interested in checking this out. Uh, Sam Keen has done some other great, the titles of which are escaping my brain now, um, but he's done some other great history uh, investigations that I really enjoyed. One was about a spoon. That's all I can remember. The disappearing spoon. There we go. I knew it would, I knew it would come back to me. So I'm excited to read this one. And also I did not read the second one because... Uh, they are a sponsor of the show today, but I did have it down in my notes to check out. It's the case of the murderous Dr. Cream, the hunt for a Victorian-era serial killer by Dean Job. Um, and like I said, I did, have not read it, but it's about uh, Dr. Thomas Neil Cream, who in a span of 15 years murdered uh, as many as 10 people in the United States, Britain, and Canada. And it's bit, the story is based around uh, his London murder trial in 1892, which is about the you know Jack the Ripper time as well, and how people really began to understand that there were people out there in the world who murdered for the sake of murdering. And it sounds really fascinating, so I'm definitely gonna gonna pick this one up too. So that is the Ice Pick Surgeon: Murder, Fraud, Sabotage, Piracy, and Other Dastardly Deeds Perpetrated in the Name of Science by Sam Keen. And The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream, The Hunt for a Victorian-Era Serial Killer by Dean Job. There's something really unsettling about the idea of, like, a murderer being called Dr. Cream. I don't know why. I mean, I know that's his actual name, but, like, I don't know. (laughs) know, Dr. Cream sounds, like, funny or fun, and I don't know. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like an ice cream doctor. Yeah, like something else. It was not, yeah. And then you see the word murderous next year, and you're like, oh, wait. It's a great title. (laughs) It is. Fantastic. All right, and we have something in common, which is that I have not had a chance to read my final book either, because again, busiest week ever, but it's so within the kinds of things I love to read about, so I wanted to talk about it, and that is M. King's Bodyguard by Nail Leonard. So it is a thriller, like a historical thriller that's set in Edwardian London, and it's based on a true story about anarchy and assassination. So it's about William Melville, who was, he came from like humble beginnings in Ireland, and then through, you know, hard work and determination and 
maybe some occasional brute force, <laughs> became the head of Scotland Yard's special branch, or as he puts it, a Catholic peasant was promoted far above his station, and he has served as personal bodyguard to Queen Victoria and her family. And then in 1901, when the queen dies, she he then becomes like the head bodyguard for her son, Edward. And they are planning and they know that, you know, her funeral is about to happen in London. So like all the crowned heads of Europe are going to, you know, converge to attend this this big event to honor the late queen. And he learns, Melville learns of a conspiracy that's led by what he's pretty sure are, again, like European anarchists. And he uncovers that the plot is to like assassinate Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany. So then it becomes a story of him trying to like hunt down the people responsible, becomes very like deeply suspicious of like literally anyone and everyone around him. There's a lot of, from what I understand, like great like fight and shootout scenes, very, you know, spy thriller type of thing. And that's just so within my wheelhouse of things that I love to read about. I was like, yes, I need to finish this. So the first 10 pages were great. And I hope to dive into the rest of it. So again, that is M. King's Bodyguard by Nail Leonard. I've heard great things about this. It is at the top of my list of books to get. Also, it reminds me, I wanted to watch that Bodyguard show. Me same. Netflix yeah, with Richard with Rob mm, Stark. Yeah, exactly. It was like Rob Stark, <laughs> Richard Madden, <laughs> I, I think I is his name. I think, maybe. <laughs> I care. Yeah, I don't know. I keep wanting to rewatch Game of Thrones and then being like, oh, no, I don't really. <laughs> like, the ending is just so bleh. I've been selectively watching the episodes that I liked. And weirdly, oh. you and I are, like, very in sync this week. But yeah, I literally That'd have be been fun. doing, just kind of going back and watching the ones I really liked. And that ending can stay far, far away. Yeah. Instead, I have discovered leverage because I like to, you know, listen to music and watch things many, many years after they've happened, apparently. So I've been watching Leverage with Timothy Hutton and Christian Kane, which is really, really fun, which is like The Librarians, which also has Christian Kane, but without the magic. He's essentially the same character. But I have really been enjoying that one as well. No, I do not sleep. Like, I just, I watch lots of TV. I read lots of books. Uh, I do need to just sleep sometime but i'm just not ready yet maybe someday <laughs> you said that like it's a major life decision that you're putting up like i'm just not ready to like get married yet you're like i'm just not ready to sleep <laughs> yeah oh no that's the thing that like my therapist is like we need to talk about your sleeping because it's <laughs> you... bad for you and i'm like i'm gonna do it someday but i'm not ready you know like i get in bed and i'm like i have so many things that i want to read and see and must fight sleep and so yeah it's terrible for you it's it terrible really i don't is. recommend it but, I, you know, it's an actual thing that I'm working to get better at because, you know, I, I don't like it. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, you know? Like, sleep is so comforting, and you know, for the most part. But no, I won't do it. <laughs> so, those are our new books. Uh, what are you going to read next? I think we also have something in common now that I'm looking at this list of like, the things we're reading. I saw it, yeah. <laughs> so my first one, and literally both of these just came on Libby in my holes, like moments before we recorded. Um, and that is first, The Mysterious Benedict Society. I've been meaning to read those books for a long time because they just sound really fun. They are, I think, middle grade. Um, but now the series is out and I've heard good things about that too. So I'm like, well, I mean, I'm that kind of person that likes to read them first. So here we go. I'm going to start the first one. And then I also watched Shadow and Bone. I had a long time ago read Six of Crows and loved it. It's probably my favorite of the like Lee Bardugo books, but I never read any of the sequels or follow-ups. So I just got uh, Crooked Kingdom in today. I'm going to start that from that Six of Crows duology. So if you haven't watched Shadow and Bone, I did read the first book in the Shadow and Bone series, but did not read the second two. But they take characters from the yep. Six of Crows duology and add them in when, in fact, in the duology, the events take place a couple of years after the Shadow and Bone. But So they kind of mix them together. But, like, I liked it. I, I mean, I, I 
didn't read Six of Crows, but I was like, I need to read Six of Crows now because I actually enjoyed these, this Ooh. thieving band of characters even more than the yes. Shadow and Bone characters. Um, and so this is this is how ridiculous I am. I was like, I need to order these books, you know, from my local indie. And so I went and I ordered them. Uh, and then I went upstairs to look for something, and I found all three books. No, you the didn't. Shadow Bone trilogy, <laughs> and I had also purchased Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. <laughs> so I called. I called my favorite bookseller at like, our local Indian. Hey. I was like, hey. <laughs> I need a revision. Which doesn't happen as often as you would imagine. I would think it does. She was, <laughs> she's like, do you want me to refund? I was like, store credit, please. <laughs> and so I ended up ordering the second duology, the King of King Scars, of Scars and yeah. the Rule of Wolves. Yeah. Because um, they were really fun. But uh, before I finish Six of Crows, I am very excited because I finally got my hands on How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu, which comes out in January of next year, which I have been following since I read about the deal like a year ago. It sounds incredible. I've heard nothing but amazing things, although it is about humanity trying to rebuild itself after a plague. So, (laughs) but I've heard just nothing but incredible things about this book. So I'm very excited for that as well. Um, And that's all for today. I'm going to go not itch my mosquito bites now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging in there with us. Thank you, Vanessa, for talking to me once again this week. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is buenosdssd. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.